0: Here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. And uh, today is Free Advice Friday, the day that I take your calls and answer your questions if you have any. And if you'd like to call in, the number is 424-220-1801. I'll give you a second to get a pencil and paper. The number is 424-220-1801. The topic I'm going to talk about today is how to deal with narcissistic parents. Uh, This is so very complicated. Uh, First of all, let me just say that narcissistic parents are not parents. They are narcissists wearing parents' clothing and the reason they're wearing the parents' clothing is because it's a way that they get their supply. Now I know that's very direct and quite harsh, but it is the truth. And I'm saying this because we think of mother and we think of father and we think of family and sister and brother and they all have these expectations and emotional they, they bring up emotions in us and most of all they bring up expectations in us of what these roles are supposed to be and how they're supposed to fulfill them so if you've had a narcissistic parent this person is not a parent they are a narcissist and it's difficult to get that you know to reckon that um to make sense out of that because it really doesn't make sense because this is a person that has played this role in your life for so many years. But when you look at it that way, it does help to separate whatever enmeshment that you have with them. And the other thing that I, that I recommend uh, in order to help to separate this enmeshment, uh, emotional enmeshment that you may have with your narcissistic parent or parents, is to assign them a name so instead of referring to your mother as mom or your father as dad think of some kind of name with a connotation that really explains who they are i don't mind if it's a very negative connotation because it's almost you almost need to shock yourself to think a different way and if you never say mom but you say you know my parental female parental unit or something like that, um, it takes away all the expectation and emotion that's associated with, with it. So this is a problem. Uh, how, dealing with narcissistic parents is a problem so many people have. And even if you are dealing with a situation with uh, an adult narcissistic relationship, chances are, that you had something like this in your childhood. Not always, doesn't have to be, but chances are that you did. And so this would apply to you as well. So we think when we're children, we deal with the abuse the trauma that's happening around us that we really can't label because we're children and we don't have the cognitive abilities to recognize it as such, but it's not what children need. And children have to survive in these environments because that's, they are dependent on these people to survive. So children find different ways to accept this. Well, not accept it, but to to deal with it so that they can navigate, they can move through life, they can be okay. And some children become pleasers. Some children become reclusive. Some children become narcissists or some other personality disorder. Uh, but it's some, some kids are rebellious. Uh, but the bottom line is these are Uh, maladaptive coping mechanisms that work very well in the short term but do not work at all in the long term. So long term meaning that when you're an adult, these are not going to work for you. They got you through your childhood, but they don't work in adulthood. And you have to understand, you've got to recognize the difference between um, the ways that you have always coped with life And the ways that you should cope with life or are more healthy to cope with life. I know that you understand this because um, I've said this a million times, but this is brainwashing and psychological warfare. And narcissistic parents start the abuse from day one of your life. You are conditioned for years and years and years and years to be the way you are and to act the way that you did with your parents. This is years of conditioning that have to be undone. And another word for conditioning means brainwashing or mind control. Um, But this is on a very deep level. This is on a subconscious level. So you, as much as you've read, as much as you've researched, as much as you've listened to my shows and read my articles or read my book, um, you're still trying to fix this because you think that you understand this. Well, the truth is that you do understand it. Absolutely. You do understand all the mechanisms. But you're talking about an intellectual, intellectual brain. A brain that reasons and when you're dealing with narcissistic abuse there is no reason the thoughts that you are having around the abuse are not rational thoughts they're not even conscious thoughts for the most part so what you understand intellectually is not what you feel emotionally And those two things will never come together. And even worse than the abuse you suffered in childhood will be the abuse of beating yourself up for not being able to fix this. And if you continue to do that, you never will heal. Because the first step in healing from this is to be kind to yourself and monitor the things that you're saying to yourself. You have to. Because you're not used to hearing nice things. And it's important that you be the one to say that to yourself. So there is uh, various kinds of enmeshments that we have with our narcissistic parents. Children who are scapegoats tend to fare much better in life because they are never going to please their parent and they know it. They're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't. So they just might as well do what they want. And these kids generally will rebel. They'll lash out. And actually, that's a better way to be because you fare much better in life. You don't have the ties, connections, these threads that keep you tied to the narcissistic parent. Children who... um, take the softer route, become pleasers. Generally, they are the golden children because golden children know that they have to act a certain way in order to continue to, to wear that crown, and they don't want to risk not wearing the crown, so they fall into line very easily. But these children have a very difficult time in life because they are enmeshed in the parent. Or with the parent, I should say. And it doesn't matter if you go all the way to the other side of the earth. It doesn't matter if you go down to the bottom of the sea or out in space. The enmeshment does not leave you. And you'll know this because you'll find that your parent pops into your head every time you want to make a decision or every time you think a thought. It's like, what would mom think? What would dad think? So if you're still carrying that around with you, then you have an enmeshment issue. And the enmeshment issue is that you don't have a separate self from your parents. You are one with this narcissistic parent and they are still pulling the strings. So if you find that this is happening with you, what you want to do is find a way to separate and become your own person. And this can be very scary. And generally, you need help with that because you, you still have blinders on. You still can't see everything the way it is and the way it was. And when you can't see it, With crystal-clear 20-20 acuity then you can't fix it so there are people like me out there that can help you do that I have a huge caseload of clients and I do it with so many of them and they feel so much better when they are a separate entity when they are split away From that parent who has held control over them so whether you know whatever your role of healing is if you have narcissistic parents there are things that you can do in order to deal with them the first thing that people think when they describe discover that their parent is narcissistic is that they are so disgusted they want to go no contact because they're like I this is an abuser I want to go no contact I just don't want to deal with this I don't want to deal with the phone calls I don't want to deal with the comments the judgments I don't want to deal with the fact that my phone can ring anytime and it's them and it's like oh gosh I got to deal with them so you know what I'm going to just pretend they don't exist and then they'll go away. And the first thing that happens is they do go away. It's very interesting. They generally do go away, but they're not going away because they get it because they understand the innuendo of your behavior. It's not because of that. It's because they realize that, that you are sort of onto them. So they disappear for a while to get you to calm down, to get you to want them more, to get you to forget about what is in your head, about them being narcissistic. And then they infiltrate little by little. They begin coming back into your life. So this is not a strategy that you want to use if you do not want to have contact with your parents. Let me stop for a moment. Um, If you have paper and pencil, the number to call in is 424-220-1801. 424-220-1801. And if you're listening, thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your comments, but it's okay. Thank you for listening. So we're talking about no contact versus low contact or you know minimal contact or whatever. Either way you do it, there comes a time when you're going to have to make some sort of statement about what you are trying to do. And when I say that, I don't mean lay it on the table and say, I know you're narcissistic, I know I've been abused, I know I need time. No, you don't do that because you don't want to trigger them into being angry and coming at you more. So what you do is you say, because you need, if you're going to heal, you need a space of at least three months where you're not expecting a text that could come in at any moment because or a phone call that can come in any moment or you open up your email and there it is uh, because you know what that does is that keeps you in low-lying stress at all times. And stress running through your body 24-7 is going to create disease. You may think you're beating it, but you're not beating it. Stress is what causes disease in the body. And I'm not talking about a cold or a flu. I'm talking about deadly disease. Often, it creates autoimmune disease. So if you're thinking that you're beating this by just dealing with it, think about the low-lying stress that you have in your body at all times. And you can do this because when you step out of this and go to a different area or with different people, You notice it's gone, but the minute you step back into the environment in which your parents can access you, it becomes very apparent. So it's important if you need this space to heal, if you truly want to heal, and I'm telling you, you can't do it without this space of not being triggered for about three months. No triggers, which means You don't have to worry that a text is going to come in. You don't have to worry that the phone is going to ring and it's going to be them. So what you do is you call up that parent, or sometimes it's easier to deal with uh, the enabling parent. You can do it by email. You can do it by letter. But you have to state mom, dad, whatever, I am going through something right now and I'm trying to work through it and I need space to do that and you won't be hearing from me for a while. When I'm done, I will contact you and if they ask you what is going on, you say, I do not wish to talk about it. I really don't want to talk about it. All I'm asking for you is that you give me the space I need to heal what I'm trying to heal. Never tell them what it is. Then hang up the phone or whatever. Make it brief if you're talking on the phone or you can email it. If you feel like you just can't confront either parent, then you can do it by email. But um, once you do this, you are free. Because it's not like you're wondering what they're wondering. When you just ghost your parents, in the back of your mind, you're wondering, what are they thinking? Are they worried? Are they upset? So if you give them this information up front and you say, this is the situation and I'm asking you to respect it, then you are free. And during that time, with no triggers, and no threat of triggers, you can begin to heal. The stress is gone. You will first maybe have a hard time with it, but you don't have that stressor. Often what will happen is the parent will try to breach that boundary. They'll leave a message, I haven't heard from you, uh, or text you or whatever well now you know that's BS because you told them I am taking some time off and I'll co- I will contact you when I'm ready so if they try to intrude on that time it's very obvious that they do not respect your boundaries and you don't have to worry about it because you told them and if they're worrying and they're brooding and Thinking things, thinking you're sick or you're this or you're that, let them think it. They're going to think it anyway, because you're not there 24-7 in most cases. Maybe, you know, if you live with your narcissistic parents, it's a different situation. But if you're an adult away from your narcissistic parents, you're not with them 24-7. They're doing a whole lot of that, that thinking anyway. It doesn't matter if you ghost them. It doesn't matter if you tell them you're taking a break. It doesn't matter what you do. They're still thinking those thoughts all the time about you. Something must be wrong with you. What is it? Never taking responsibility for the fact that they are the ones responsible for you acting the way that you are and that they need to deal with their feelings. Well, They have to deal with their feelings. So it doesn't matter what they're thinking when you are in your healing bubble, your vacuum. And during this time, this is really the best time to consult with an expert or somebody like me who just can give you some tips on how to guide you through this process. Because you want to make the best use of this and your thoughts are going to intrude. Because you are running thoughts through your head at all times. And the thoughts, many of them, are negative and self-effacing, self-abusing. So you need somebody to help you see what you're doing to yourself now. Now that you don't have the trigger, what you're doing to yourself and to help you stop doing that because you have to let that go first. But when you don't recognize what you're telling yourself, you can't let it go. So it's an outside person who understands this and understands how the healing process works that can help you with these little bits of information. Doesn't mean you have to be with the person for years and years or months and months, but you need to get a little bit of help during this time so that you can make the best use of it. Now, when, this, when you feel, begin to feel better, that's when you make a decision. Do I want to contact them? And at this point, you don't have to because you left it open-ended. Um, it's always good at some point to say, you will not ever be hearing from me again. But it takes a long time to get to that place because you have a process that you have to um, do to declutter your mind from the brainwashing. So by the end of that time, when you have clarity, that is when you can make a decision for contact or no contact. Do not do it before because if you decide to go no contact and you haven't helped yourself heal, you're going to have tremendous guilt feelings, and you're going to be consumed with what they're thinking and if they're going to call you when you don't want them to. So you don't want to ghost them because you will not be happy. You will have such a case of the guilt, and if something happens to them, you will feel responsible because you never said what you needed to say. Now, limited contact. Limited contact is that you see your parents on your terms, meaning that you set a boundary and you basically say, I can't tolerate this, that, the other blum." You lay it out there and then you set consequences for that behavior. You can't do limited contact without setting boundaries. It doesn't work. So you set these boundaries and you there are consequences for crossing your boundaries. But you you have to state them. You have to state what your boundaries are. What the consequences are for crossing them. And initially you don't want to make the consequences severe because you may not be ready to act on severe consequences, because initially they will cross your boundaries. They're like children. They test you to see, does he or she really mean this? Uh, nah, you know, I'm going to cross over it. So there has to be something for them to lose, something that's meaningful to them that they have to lose. So usually I say, you know, you tell them, listen, if you cross my boundaries, you will not hear from me for two weeks. Then I'll call you. And we'll try this again, and I'll give you a second chance. But understand that the consequences are going to get worse each time. And I say pretty much around the third time that they cross the boundaries, that is when you really say, you know what, you're never going to hear from me again. And while you're doing limited contact, the interactions are on your terms, meaning that you make the call, you decide how long the call is. You decide when you're going to hang up from the call. As far as visits go, same same goes. Um, you make the visit. They, you don't bring them to your space. You go to their space. You decide how long you're going to stay. You decide at what point when they drive you crazy, you're going to say, okay, got to go now. So, It's when you want to see them, not because they're saying, I never see you. Where have you been? You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. You never see your mother. You never see your mother. Where are you? I'm sad. (laughs) As soon as they start with that bullshit, I'm going to say it because I can't think of another word really quick. You say, okay, got to go because this teaches them. That when they begin the whining and the pressure and all of that, you're going to walk away. You're not going to say, well, you know, I'm busy and I'm this and I have the kids and, you know, they're so involved in everything and I'm working on the house and I got to be with my spouse. No, you don't give them that song and dance back. They're giving you a song and dance. You don't give it back. You just say, okay, time for me to go. And you walk out. So this is, this is what limited contact is. It's on your terms. And you have to teach them how not to behave in front of you. And you do this by leaving. Or if you're calling, you hang up the phone. And phone calls with narcissistic parents should never be more than five minutes. Because after five minutes, it goes off the rail. Either they begin saying things to you that trigger you, or they begin talking about themselves and rambling on about something that you do not care about. So five minutes is usually a good amount of time. Just checking in with you. You doing okay? You have food? Whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like you want to check in with them about, you do. Five minutes. Okay, I'm going to go now. These things sound harsh, but you have to remember what you're dealing with. So let me go back to the beginning of the show when I said, you don't have a mother, you don't have a father, you have a narcissist. So you're not dealing with a mother who has emotions or a father who has emotions, and they're not going to get hurt. So you have to understand this. But how amazing are they at acting? I mean, think of the best actress or actor you can think of and how they can morph into roles so easily and be believable. Narcissists can do that in a second. A second. They can become somebody else. And their acting ability is seamless. You cannot... Pick up on uh, on the acting, the lies, the manipulation. You can't because they're so good at it, and they play the role so well. But you don't have a mother, you don't have a father, you have a narcissist, and you have spent years and years under their thumb, dealing with their abuse and suffering tremendously from it. And now that you're an adult, if you are an adult. You're realizing how it's impacting your life in so many ways. No, you're not hurting them. They hurt you. Remember that. You are the victim, not them. Not them. And every time you begin to get a case of the guilt, you tell yourself, I am the one that got hurt. So what if they're wallowing in misery or whatever they're doing? You can't even begin to know what they're talking about. And they will replace you very quickly if you go away. And, you know, you may have seen this happen. I know for me, that's exactly what happened. I was the apple of my mother's eyes. She told me every day, what would I do without you? I can't live without you. She had my father and he doted on her constantly. So I thought, oh, my gosh, my mother's survival depends on me. And when I had to go do my healing process and I had to uh, push them away for a while, my mother replaced me so fast. I can't even tell you how fast she replaced me. She found cousins. Two generations removed or whatever they were. I don't even know. Now, we, weren't even, we knew these cousins, but we weren't close with them. They were second, third cousins, and they were step cousins, okay? So they weren't even real cousins. Two girls, two women. My mother brought them in to the, her life. They were grown women, but, you know, she invited them into her life, and they played the daughter role very quickly. So she replaced me. Um, I'm not resentful. I'm glad. But I'm telling you that if you think you are the one and only and that your parents will wither up and die, like pouring, the, pouring water on the wicked witch of the West, where she just turns into a puddle on the floor, I'm telling you that doesn't happen. Because one thing that you can count on with narcissists is that they are the most resilient beings on the planet. They survive no matter what. They know how to do it. It's innate. It's, in, it's embedded in their personality disorder, in their pathology. They just know how to do these things. So they'll tell you that they're hurting, but don't buy it because it's not a mother or father. It's a narcissist. Don't buy it. These are things that I can tell you and you can download on an intellectual level. You're still going to have a hard time with this and you're still going to terrify you to do this, which is why you need support and help. How many times do I say this? How many times have I said, please reach out, please? You're making this harder than it has to be. It doesn't have to be this hard. Healing from narcissistic abuse when you're with somebody, with a professional who knows how to help you, is not hard. It's not work. I never make my clients do any work. Never. They don't do any work because what I'm talking to them about helps them to heal. It helps on a subconscious level that I'm reaching. I'm not some Sengali I'm not hypnotizing them. I'm just using dialogue that helps them connect with the part of them can heal. So this is what this is about. Uh, It's not psychology, not necessarily. It is just a process of helping the person reach the truth in themselves and claiming their power and then moving forward to live a life that they want to live. So that is what narcissistic abuse coaching involves. It's not expensive, at least not with me. I don't know what other people charge. It's not expensive, Um, and it's quick. So I just want you to keep that in mind when you're going through this process because you're listening to my advice. I know you're out there, and you may try these things, but they're going to be hard for you, torturous maybe. I know when I work with my clients and I get them to this place where they need to take this break and make this statement, they want to do anything but. They tell me how scared they are. They tell me this isn't going to work. They tell me the parent is just going to yell at them. And every single time it goes really well, it doesn't go at all how they plan. Because the narcissist is thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to run all over that. Yeah, that's what, that's what he says. That's what she says. I don't believe him because I am the one in control. I am the one in power. And you know what? Let them think it. Ha ha. Let them think it. Because I'm going to come right in and I'm going to subtly do it. I'm going to do it in ways that they don't even realize I'm creeping in. And before they know it, I am back and, I, and they are under my control. So narcissists don't believe you when you do this, which is why you have to have consequences and you have to enforce the consequences. So these are some ways, uh, this is really the nitty-gritty of dealing with narcissistic parents. Um, There are often, oftentimes you may find that they um, will get involved in your relationship. This particularly happens with narcissistic mothers and sons. Narcissistic mothers do not want their sons to replace them. And they see the partner, the spouse, the girlfriend as replacement. And they have raised their son in many cases to be a surrogate partner. This is called emotional incest. So, this, so the child is responsible for all the, all the aspects of being a partner without the sex. There is no physical contact that way. But it's emotional. It's emotional incest. And the mother does this because she doesn't want the son to leave her. And so any woman, or man for that matter, that um, their son encounters is a threat. It's a threat. He's going to leave me. So I am going to decimate her. I am going to reduce her to a nothing i'm going to make her feel so small i'm going to make her feel so bad about herself i'm going to make every interaction i have with her a nightmare so she'll leave and i'm going to tell her things about my son that aren't true i'm going to say he's got a a hot temper that you maybe haven't seen yet uh that he has had a string of girlfriends or whatever she wants to think of to make the girl or girlfriend or spouse want to just run because they're like, oh, I didn't know that about him. So the mother is working very hard at messing up the relationship. Understand that. And this is, like I said, particular with narcissistic mothers and their sons. And what happens is the son um, feels divided and the spouse is saying to the son, you never stand up for me. When it comes to your mother, you always let her win. You let her say whatever she wants to me. You let her do whatever she wants to do to me and you never stand up for me and the wife gets hurt. And then the couple begin arguing. Because... The son is enmeshed. He's still tied to the mother. Emotional incest has tied him to the mother and made him feel responsible for her happiness. He can't let his mother down. His mother, again, will wither away and die. And every time he's done the littlest thing to let her down, she throws such a it. she's crying she's on the floor she makes herself sick she ends up in the hospital she gets so histrionic she does all these things and he goes okay 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 you know you know don't make yourself sick over this mom okay okay and he sides with the mother and she will go to any lengths to manipulate him away from his partner because her son is hers she birthed him and he is hers So if you're experiencing this problem in your marriage where your your wife or your girlfriend is saying to you, why don't you ever stand up for me? This is what is going on. And it's very hurtful to the other person, very hurtful. And if you love that other person, you have to deal with your narcissistic mother. And that is not easy because you are enmeshed. You are embroiled in this relationship And you don't have a separate self from it. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to develop a separate self when your mother is in your head all the time? You need help to do that. But you owe it to your partner to do that if you love them and want this relationship to last or this marriage to last. I have heard so many things about narcissistic mothers sabotaging weddings, totally ruining them in various ways. They either wear white like a bridal dress, they wear black, stand up and and say something in the middle of of the ceremony. They get totally drunk and obnoxious and start saying things during the the, um, reception. There's so many ways that they do this because they don't want you to marry. They don't want the son to marry this girl. And it is a lasting scar on this, on the spouse because we always remember what happens at our wedding. And it's a time where we're supposed to be together and it is us. It's about us, not about his mother. Um, Narcissistic fathers, let's talk about that. Narcissistic fathers are brutal. They are cruel. And they are belittling. And they make no bones about the fact that they don't care. And you are supposed to step in line with them or their rage is so powerful, like a lion's roar, you want to run. So narcissistic parents, narcissistic fathers, um, what they generally do, and um, I'll talk about what they do with their daughters in a minute, but what they generally do is they don't participate with the family. The other parent is responsible for t- taking care of the children, doing everything for them, running them here, running them there, taking them to the doctor, changing the diapers when they're babies. The narcissistic father does not lift a finger. He may from time to time, but he doesn't really mean it, and he's only doing it because he's trying to gain some brownie points. But He has to make all decisions for the family. And you'll find that when you have a narcissistic father, every family um, outing is orchestrated by him. It's what he wants to do. Because if you're doing something he doesn't want to do, he's not coming along. So it's always you and your other parent, your mother or whatever your other parent. And he doesn't come along and it's very clear he's not interested in what the family has, you know, wants to do. But you do what he does and yeah. That's the way it has to be. Um also um I was going to I said I was going to talk about narcissistic fathers and their daughters. What they do is, you know, when girl when little girls are little and they're still sweet and Dad, I love daddy and they're hugging him and they're just loving daddy no matter what. Daddy's not putting forth any effort, but the little child, little girl just loves her daddy. And then she gets to be an adolescent. And she wants to dress like her friends. So she puts on a pair of jean shorts. And she comes down to breakfast and her father calls her a whore. You look like a whore. And he begins to do these things to demean her, to demean her femininity, her emerging womanhood, to demean it. He doesn't want this to happen. He wants to hurt her. So this is going to really destroy this girl. And even if if she has a mother or another parent who is supporting her, it doesn't matter because – Children, if they know, if they're secure in the love of one parent, but the other parent, they're not, that's the direction they go in. They will do anything to try to earn that. You know, you hear of uh, physically abused children who keep running back. They want, they want their parents. They want their abusers. And you think to yourself, why? You are black and blue. Why? You have broken arms. Why? You have broken ribs. Why? Because they want the love of the abusive parent. And that is much stronger than the good parent. Much stronger. Um, So if you're in a relationship with, if you're in a marriage and, um, and you have a child and your spouse is a narcissist, Get them out of there as soon as possible. The longer the children stay in that relationship, that family unit, the worse abuse is going to happen. It's best to get them out as, as young as possible because when they're young, the father isn't going after them. The father isn't um, you know, uh, giving them, uh, quote unquote, advice that you have no choice but to follow. Uh, Because you're little and your little children are still pleasers. They love their daddy. Um, So it's important to not, if you are aware right now, if you're listening to me or you've listened to things I've put out there before and you are aware that you are with a narcissistic spouse Speak to somebody, speak to a professional, make, get a strategy, make a plan, and leave as soon as you can when you have your plan together. There are ways to do this, but don't subject your children one more day to this person if you don't have to get out. It doesn't mean that they aren't going to have visitation. It doesn't mean that they aren't going to have shared custody. But at least they have some semblance of safety, emotional safety with you. Yes, they may have to go to the other parent at some point, but they get to come back and they come to let down and get, you know, and overcome what has happened to them when they're with the other parent. So, does anybody have questions about uh, dealing with your narcissistic parents? If you do, you can call me at 424-220-1801. Trying to think of what else I want to tell you about how to deal with narcissistic parents. Oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're famous at dangling carrots in front of you. And um, I'll just give you an example of, of this kind of situation, because I know you've all experienced it. So um, there was a time in my life when I had to run from a marriage because it was a dangerous situation. And I had a six week old infant. Oh, we have a caller. Let's take the caller. Welcome. Hi, what is your question? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. Um, I just had a comment. Really, I was listening to the show and I have to agree too. I think that uh, getting out as early as possible is the best solution. You know, it might be really hard. But, you know, I, I everything that you were saying, you know, I agree with because, you know, later on in life, everything is harder. You know, and, and as you were talking, you know, I just kind of, you know, reflected on everything and you know, my I I'm speaking, you know, from my own family experience and, you know, my mother stayed in the relationship and uh, you know, I so you know, speaking from experience, you know, my mother ended up, you know, being a, a, a really bad alcoholic and just recently passed away. And then, you know, my brothers and that, you know, dealt with alcoholism and, and, you know, drugs and things like that as a result of, you know, growing up, you know, in an abusive uh, family. And so, you know, just the turmoil and, and, you know, the baggage that you carry from that. And so, you know, just because, uh, you know, it it carries on for years and years and years. And Mm -hmm. so the earlier that you get away from it, I think the better chance that you have to have a normal life
0: I think you are absolutely right and i and I really appreciate you calling it and um and validating that. did you were you part of uh, did you have narcissistic parent, a father mother?
1: Oh my father yeah you you know it was it was everything you know if you if you didn't do exactly what he said when he said, how he said, oh my God, the roof raised three feet, you know what I mean, so as long mm-hmm. as you followed those exact rules if you if you, you know, disturbed him while he was sleeping, if you didn't, you know, I mean, you walked on eggshells your whole whole childhood, you know, because you, you had to follow these exact rules. And if you varied from him in any way, I mean, the belt came out and I mean, it was just numerous things, you know, so it, it was just kind of it wasn't your way, you know what I mean? So and you and later on in life, it was so true about vacations and, you know, weekend getaways or whatever. So my father, if, if if he didn't want to be part of it, we went with my mother, and it was actually kind of really fun, you know, because you got to swim in the pool. You know, we just went to a hotel or anything, but it was kind of fun, you know, just eating hamburgers and going to a pool. And he was just off, you know, stomping around because you didn't do exactly what he wanted, so stayed at home or whatever. And then, you know what I mean? It was like, hey, this is fun without dad. <laughs> so,
0: you know. Like, right, we don't need you. Stay home. <laughs> That's
1: right, <laughs> and then and then later on, you know, I'm I'm almost in in my 60s right now. But I look at you know back and I I I feel sad for my mom, you know, because she didn't get out. But then I wonder, and I don't know because I can't answer for her. But I wonder why she didn't get out, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And I don't know if it was a financial reason. I don't know if she just couldn't break away emotionally. I don't really know. But, you know, even when I had my own problems in grade school and high school and, you know, running away and, you know, different mm-hmm. things like that, I remember a lot of the counselors used to – I'm not going to say the word attack me. That wasn't the right word. But their first things out of their mouth would be, well, what did you do? And I'm mm. like, I'm only 11 years old. What did I do? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, what did I do to, no. to get a beaten like that, you know? And so no. – uh I don't know, you know, so today people uh are not as afraid to talk about things, you know what I mean, because back then you you went to school with the welts on your legs and you just pulled your you know held your pants mm. up and kind of oh, you know what I mean, um. and so today you can speak about it, you have people to speak about, so so talk about it with someone don't Don't just keep your mouth closed,
0: right, you know you were talking about your mom. And she is what I call the enabling spouse or the enabling parent. Well, enabling spouse, actually. And um, there's I dedicate an entire chapter in my book, list, Encounters of, of the Worst Kind, uh, to the enabling spouse, because people always think that that parent is the good parent. But what happens is the enabling spouse is in this. Generally, if they stay for years and years, they're getting something out of it, even if it's a sick kind of thing they're getting out of it, they're still getting something out of it or they wouldn't stay because, you know, I work with people, hundreds of people, okay? And I know some people do get out and some people don't. And the people who do get out move on with their life and blah, blah, blah. My parents have been together like 75 years. They're in their 90s. They're still together. And it's, it's like a toxic pool of waste. I mean, it's horrible. So... Um, but there's something that they get out of it. So the other thing is that the enabling spouse is a very ineffective parent because that spouse, they are in survival mode just like all the children are and they don't want to mess things up so they don't step out of line either. So they're trying to comply, they're coddling, they're groveling, they're doing everything to make, and walking on eggshells to make their spouse happy because They don't want to break it up. Um, But while they're doing that, while they're doing that, the children are suffering because no one is advocating for them. My sisters and I used to say, if we were in a rowboat with my parents, three of us in a rowboat, and the boat started to sink, my father would save my mother. Not us. First, she would save (laughs) my mother first. And that is the enabling spouse it is survival for them um, yeah so yeah you know what I mean but um, I do I think and you, what you, I yeah. did notice
1: afterwards is that my parents did divorce after 35 years and then I did notice that my mother took over the role as enabler for <sighs> my other brothers so then wow. as my my family fell apart My mother then enabled or so as my brothers fell apart more and more and more, my mother enabled them. So then the uh, the alcohol just began to flow. And, you know what I mean? So as they couldn't hold down jobs, she financially enabled them. And then it just crumbled right from there, you know, so
0: unbelievable. Well, I thank you so much for calling in. We're sort of at the end of the show, but you've contributed um, a lot. To the show today so i i really really appreciate it. And, and i know i know you've called before and you always have great things to say so thank you for listening thank you for being um you know a loyal follower and um for speaking up because what you have to say other people need to hear okay so thank you so so much
1: yeah, the biggest thing is don't give up hope and just keep pushing forward because you know what? You can have a great life if you just never give up hope and, and just find that one person that you can really open
0: up to. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Good. Thank way you to for end. taking I'm my gonna, call. I'm going to put you back on hold, okay? <clears throat> okay. So um, I just wanted to tell you all about the show I'm having on uh, Tuesday, June 15th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, I'm having Sheila Sethi on. Sheila is going to be talking about walk-ins and the cosmology of the soul. Um, And I don't know if you're familiar with what walk-ins are. Walk-ins are where spirits come in and sort of, um, let's see, she says... um, Processes of a soul entering into a body, um, various types of walk-ins such as soul infusion, soul braids, soul overlays, jumpers, and soul layering. Uh, This is going to be really interesting. Uh, This is not a topic I know about, but she wrote a book about it. And, you know, I always like to represent people's books um, if I find them interesting, and I think you'll find them interesting. So this is going to be something to really listen to. Um, So I invite you all back on Tuesday June 15th at 11 a.m. Eastern Um, I will be doing my show about narcissistic abuse and taking your calls on July oh why do I have it there okay I have my show on July 9th I don't know why I'm doing it so early but for some reason I am Okie dokie. Yeah, there's something going on that I felt I know what I did. Okay, I booked I probably booked the. uh, Let me see, is that the second Friday? No, it's not the second Friday. Okay. anyway, I'll be doing this show on June 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern, so I hope you'll come back. Remember the number, but I will tell you 424-220-1801. Remember that I do have a mobile app. It's the easiest way to access my website and all I do. It's the easiest way to find out what shows are coming up and click on them. Um, So if you don't already have the mobile app, please, um, you know, you may want to do that. And I would love it if you guys would leave me some reviews. Just, I don't know. Just, just be be nice, <laughs> so other people will, will leave, you know, will um, leave reviews and, and uh, download the app. I don't make any money at this, so it really doesn't matter to me. But it, I would just like to know that people are enjoying it. And um, what else? Okay, so you know my books, Close Encounter of the Worst Kind, The Narcissistic Abuse Survivor's Guide to Healing and Recovery. Now, in addition to being in paperback and in uh, and, and for Kindle. It is an audiobook, and the audiobook is phenomenal. It is not me speaking; I could never do what this person did. She did such a great job, but uh, it gives you a whole different perspective on the book, and um, I recommend it. So, if you don't have the book or you want to just refresh yourself, and you have, you know, commutes that you listen to things, that would be a great thing to get. Um, I believe that's it. I think we are out of time. So, uh, may joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randifine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.